Greetings, comrades, and welcome back to Chatter in the Skull. Today, it's going to be a shorter episode, just going to be talking about current events today. The main reason being is that I've got other video projects that I'm doing right now that need some TLC to get across the finish line, so I'm focusing on them. So today, we're just going to be talking about latest news of the week, and there are definitely some very explosive things that have happened, so I'm just going to jump right into it. As you guys know, if you've been watching the show for a little bit, we like to go pretty hard against the far right, and we will be doing that today, rest assured. But today, I do want to go pretty hard against the right, which is, of course, the Democratic Party of America. But before we get there, we can finally, finally bring you the last update on the eternal election. The numbers on the midterm look like they've all shaken out. It doesn't look like there's going to be any changes, so we can finally give you the last out of what everything looks like. So let's jump over here. We, of course, had the Georgia runoff on the 6th. Just a very quick recap. In Georgia, you need to have 50% plus to win a Senate seat. If you are unable to secure that on Election Day, it moves to a runoff between the two candidates, which garnered the highest amount of votes, which, of course, was Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker. And to nobody's surprise, Raphael Warnock took this relatively comfortably considering that, of course, Georgia is a more red state. However, it's definitely becoming more and more of a swing state. I remember when I said that, I triggered some right-wing people greatly. They're like, no, Georgia, Georgia's red, man, it's solid red. So remind me how many Democratic senators Georgia has right now. Is it, is it two? Oh, they're both Democrats. Oh, maybe it's a, maybe it's a blue state after all. No, I'm just trolling. But obviously, Georgia is becoming more and more of a swing state. And uh, we can see this in this election. Raphael Warnock able to win by about three points. And we all, like I said, we were pretty confident that he was going to win. As usual, I, I like to tell people, like, don't ever count your chickens before they hatch, right? And in, in politics, especially. Because if you do that, you're very bound to look like a fool. Of course, Democrats did that in 2016. The Republicans just did that in the midterms. Never count your chickens before they hatch. But now we have a hatched Raphael Warnock. And he is going to give the Democrats a 51-seat majority in the Senate, which will allow them to do things like they no longer have to split all Senate committees 50-50. They can get justices through easier. So it gives them a little bit more leeway. It's not like the biggest thing in the world, but it gives them a little bit more. It allows them to navigate the Senate and the political system of the United States a little bit more easily than when it was a 50-50 split. So with everything said and done, the Democrats actually end up picking up a seat in the Senate. This will actually be the first midterm since the uh, 1930s in which the ruling party has not lost an incumbent senator during the midterms. So definitely a result which kind of eschewed historical trends. So yeah, it's no question that the Democrats have a right to be happy about this election. Moving over to the U.S. House, now that we have all of the seats shaken out, and uh, this one is not counting Bobart's seat here in Colorado, that is still not been declared even though we have 99% of the vote reporting. She currently has a lead of about 500 votes. I'm assuming there's probably going to be a recount here or something like that. And then, you know, that seat will be called officially, but I'm going to consider it as a Republican seat for now, which would give the GOP 222 seats and the Democrats 213 seats, which is amazing because all that happened is the Republicans and the Democrats switched the number of seats in the House Exactly. The Democrats got the smallest majority in the House in modern history, and then the Republicans came in and tied that in the next election. It looked like they were going to beat it, 
but no, they tied it, which is better for them. Even though it's a slimmer majority, it's going to be enough that they can get most of what they need to get done done. They're still going to have to make sure people show up to vote. They're still going to have to make sure they're really whipping those votes, but it's not as a bad situation as it looked like it was going to be for them at the start of the election. All right, so now we're going to talk about the Bidens. Of course, we're going to start off with Hunter here. <laughs> I, 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 this, this picture cracks me up. It's an AI-generated art image, and the prompt is Hunter Biden in a Lovecraftian nightmare. And that's a great thing about AI-generated art. You can plug in whatever stupid prompt comes into my head and get something which at least cracks me up. And especially if it cracks me up, it's going in the show 100%. In any case, yeah, this gives me the chance to actually talk about the whole Hunter Biden laptop thing, because I didn't really, I wasn't politically active on YouTube during 2020. And I, let's just say frustrated with how the whole situation unfolded. So what I'm talking about specifically is how Twitter and a lot of other social media platforms very heavily censored the New York Post story about the Hunter Biden laptop and what they found on it under the guise of it being Russian disinformation or whatever. As we know now, and as I knew, and I'm sure all of you knew at the time, it was all 100% real. It wasn't Russian disinformation. It was real crap from a laptop that he left at a computer repair shop. And the guy opened it up, looked up what's inside and learned that, hey, this is actually some pretty important information here and ended up leaking it out. They leaked it out to Project Veritas, to the FBI, to a couple of other institutions and organizations, which of course then allowed it to filter out into the general public. And in response, companies like Twitter would do things like completely censor posting the story in any way, shape, or form, including in direct messages, which was, there's no, there's no if it, it ends or buts around. I think that's fucked up. That's fucked up. And at the time, I remember thinking, like, this was the stupidest possible thing that the Democrats could have done. That this is going to help the Trump campaign by trying to censor the story. They're going to give it fuel. It's not going to go away if you try and crush it. If if they had just let it you play out at the time, we probably wouldn't have given a flying fuck about Hunter Biden's laptop right now. We wouldn't be talking about it. It would be all new, old news. No one would give a shit. But instead, we have a larger story around a social media company using its outsized power of influence to censor a story which was, for all intents and purposes, true. And this was so stupid because, like I said, it gave fuel to this fire. It made the Democrats look like they were putting their hand directly on the scale and deliberately on the scale. And most importantly of all, if this had come out as intended, just ran a normal news cycle, it wouldn't have changed the election in any way, shape, or form. The both sides have this weird delusional idea that somehow that if they had let this story run through the 2020 election naturally, that it would have changed the course. <sighs> Nobody gives a fuck about Hunter Biden's laptop. If the story went around, it would actually end up changing anybody's mind. All that would happen is that the people who are going to vote Democrat are going to vote Democrat and the people who are going to vote Republican are going to vote Republican. And the reason is because everybody fucking understands how greasy American politics is. It's a total grease fest. You can skate around on American politics on the balls of your feet. Everybody's covered in grease. So the fact that Hunter Biden is doing greasy business deals behind the scenes comes to a surprise to absolutely no one. And it's so weird because if, again, if the Republicans would have come at the Democrats really hard on this one, 
there's just as much evidence and there's just as much to substantiate greasy business dealings between the Trump family and various other countries, organizations, and what have you. So to think that this would come out and look especially bad for the Democrats, that's just hope. Basically, this story would never have changed the outcome of the 2020 election, especially if it had the chance to run its course naturally. At this point, everybody knows and everybody understands that all politicians, maybe not just in America, but all over the world, but particularly in America, are, like I said, super shady. They're doing backdoor deals constantly, and they're skimming tons of money off the top. And there's no question at all that they're fucking us over. And in any case, so why this story is coming back up today, I just wanted to really talk about how frustrated I was at the time about this whole clusterfuck or whatever you want to say. So as I was saying, what brings this story back into the light this week is essentially that now that Elon Musk owns Twitter, he released a bunch of files and details about what was going on behind the scenes during this time. And we learned some pretty interesting things. One of the interesting things we learned is that both the Democrats and Republicans really requested Twitter to take down or remove or otherwise censor new stories. And in cases of both the Democrats and Republicans, those requests were honored. Another thing that we learned is that it wasn't actually necessarily the Democratic Party coming out and wanting this story to be censored. They did want certain aspects of it censored and taken down, specifically because on that laptop, there happened to be like 5,000 pictures of Hunter Biden's horn and they dispersed throughout the internet. And they're like, hey, we kind of don't like the fact that the Hunter Biden's horn is all over your website. You might want to take that down. That'd be really great. Thanks. But when it came to the actual meat and potatoes of the story and what they found on the laptop, which is, for example, shady dealings with companies in Ukraine, shady dealings with companies linked to the Chinese Communist Party, and of course, various other illegal activities, drugs, prostitution, all that good stuff. Apparently, the Democratic Party was actually not coming out and asking for that to be censored. Much what happened instead is that Twitter acted proactively to censor the story, which I don't know, honestly, what's better or worse. <laughs> I've heard come out and say, oh man, at least the Democrats weren't asking it to be censored. Sure, okay. But now we have the whole other issue of a giant and influential social media company just deciding that it can censor or suppress information at will and based upon really flimsy, flimsy justification and evidence. And while yes, on the service at least, it would seem that Twitter shares my politics and my political perspective, I don't trust them at all. I don't trust any corporation at all. And I would highly encourage any socialist or left-wing people out there to not trust businesses and corporations either. Because business and corporate interests have always been opposed to left-wing political ideas and left-wing political philosophy. And the only reason right now is that it seems like they are more left-wing or it seems like that they can like talk the talk type of thing. It's because... That's what right now the cultural zeitgeist is, is that it, the cultural zeitgeist is far more pro-LGBT, far more pro a lot of left-wing ideas like green energy. Because business and corporate interests have always been opposed to left-wing political philosophy and left-wing political theory. And just because right now it, it seems like a lot of these corporations and companies are talking the talk, 
they are absolutely in no way, shape, or form walking the walk. It is essentially a screen to either do one of two things, to either muffle criticism from people who have who have every right to criticize your business practices, your exploitation of workers, not just here in North America, but to a far more severe degree in third world countries like Bangladesh, Vietnam, China, all these other places where sweatshops are regularly used to manufacture products which are sold here. And then of course there, this was like a decade ago, there was the term that was really thrown around a lot of far left circles. It was called greenwashing, which is essentially big corporations and other capitalist institutions coming in and putting a green coat of paint over what, are they, what they're doing and saying, oh, we're environmentally friendly and we're doing, we're carbon neutral, all this good stuff. And that is definitely still happening. In fact, it's just become like an accepted practice. But now, of course, we're having rainbow washing, which is when corporations come out and they, on the surface at least, say they support LGBT rights and they support LGBT people. But when push comes to shove, they'll do things like they'll have the pride flag on their Twitter, Nike or whatever will have the pride flag on their Twitter bio for Nike of America and then Nike of Saudi Arabia or whatever else. It's just a plain logo, which obviously tells you everything that you need to know that these people do not care about what they say they're caring about. They are merely putting on a front to try and get you to purchase their products or to try and get you to not criticize them for maybe anti-LGBT practices they've had in the past, sexist practices they've had in the past. Very cunning strategy to nullify criticism and also try and make yourself look more palatable to a demographic that is slowly but surely shifting more and more to the left. But do you really think there, Nike, that if you put a rainbow flag over your Twitter profile, that someone like me is just going to forget all of your past sins and be like, you know what? You know what? I'll, I'll go buy the Nike hoodie. I'll go buy the Nike shoes. No. Suck my gigantic red hammer, you piece of fucking shit. But here's the thing. If things were reversed and conservative anti-LGBT rhetoric was embraced by the majority of the population, and if it was profitable for these corporations to embrace it too, they would in a heartbeat. They don't give a shit about any of us. It's all about the bottom line and never, ever, ever forget it and never, ever, ever trust these people. So yeah, I don't know what's worse. Honestly, it's probably worse that Twitter did this on its own unilaterally because now that Elon Musk owns Twitter, he essentially has the justification and the precedent to do the same thing, but to more left-wing political views and left-wing political ideas, which, which according to some people is already happening right now. Anyway, enough about Hunter Biden. Let's talk about the other Biden, which is, of course, our good friend Joe. And honestly, I will admit that I was coming around to Joe Biden recently. I was not a supporter of him in the primary. Obviously, I wanted him to beat Donald Trump, but it's the choice between a sandwich with one turd in it or a sandwich with two turds in it. Regardless of which one you choose, you're still eating shit. But objectively, you probably want to eat less shit than more. But even though he was making some good moves up to the midterm, and this probably helped the Democrats achieve the result that they did, it, as soon as it seems like he doesn't need the base and he doesn't need to campaign on left-wing policies that are popular anymore, right in the trash, instantly in the trash. So what's happening here? Let me bring you up to speed in case you're unfamiliar with the situation. 
essentially the labor unions supporting a lot of rail workers and conductors and engineers and so on and so forth essentially just a threat to go on strike recently because they have i'm not sure if it's zero or one paid sick day which is appalling it's so appalling that i i like for my frame of reference here as a canadian like i can't even understand that and obviously they wanted more sick time considering that the job that they do is a very difficult and dangerous one and if you come to work sick you will not do as good a job plus you have the potential to pass it on to your co-workers which will decrease your, your precious productivity ever more so realistically speaking paid time off benefits everybody and not giving paid time off to people just pushes them further and further towards their breaking point and there are so many people right now out there at their breaking points it's scary it's scary to think about so let's read this important bit from this article from The Guardian. We'll just start here. At the same time that thousands of union members were fanned out across the state of Georgia, knocking on doors to get Raphael Warnock elected and solidify Democratic control of the Senate to save the working class, of course, Biden decided to sell out workers in the single biggest labor battle of his administration. Rather than allowing the nation's railroad workers to exercise their right to strike, he used his power to intervene and force them to accept a deal that the majority of those workers found unacceptable. So one of the things that you might hear, Biden has said this, even if you read the comments on this news story, you'll see some goof saying that as well, that essentially that only three unions disagreed with this deal proposed. So essentially what happened is that the government and came in and they proposed a deal to avert the strike. Most of the unions accepted this deal. However, three did not, but what a lot of them don't mention and a lot of people don't mention is the fact that these three unions were the biggest unions which represented the largest share of workers. In any case, let's get back to it. Rather than allowing the nation's railroad workers to exercise the right to strike, he used his power to intervene and force them to accept a deal that the majority of those workers found unacceptable. His ability to do this rests in the, the vagaries of the Railway Labor Act but all you really need to know to understand this is that nobody forced him to side with the railroad company over the workers. That was a choice. Very well put, in my opinion. The White House just weighed the political damage and anticipated from Republicans screaming about a Christmas season rail strike against the fact that railroad workers have inhumane working conditions and would need to go on a strike to change them and chose the easier political route. This was a which side moment are you on? and Biden made his position clear. Again, very good point. What were these railroad workers fighting for? Paid sick leave, the basic ability to call in sick or go see a doctor without being penalized. Something that many of us, including members of Congress and the railroad company executives, take for granted. It is also, by the way, a right Joe Biden believes should be codified into federal law, but he must not believe it all that much since he just cut the legs out from unions who are trying to secure it from their members. Why is it so difficult for railroad workers to win this basic right? Their industry, after all, is fantastically profitable. It has cut its workforce to the bone to purely enrich its investors, and it doesn't want to spend the money it would take to staff the property so that remaining workers could take sick days. Greed and nothing more. The combined power of railway unions could overcome this obstacle if only they had the ability to go on strike. Railroad companies are not stupid. They knew the White House would intervene to prevent a strike. They felt no urgency to give in to their workers' demands. 
Joe Biden, Mr. I Love Unions, unilaterally disarmed the unions before their fight could even begin. Without a credible strike threat, they never had a chance. People will point out that strikes are disruptive. Yes, that's the point. A rail strike would be so disruptive that the rail companies would probably have given up sick days to prevent it. And if they didn't, the White House could have weighed in on the side of the workers to make them. Instead, it did the opposite. And rescuing hope for those workers fell to Bernie Sanders and to the progressives in the White House, who forced congressional leaders to move on a separate bill to guarantee the sick leave they were asking for. As usual, it was the left that went to the trouble for fighting for labor after the party's mainstream sold them out for the sake of convenience. But yeah, very good, very well-written and passionate to the point. And this is something that hits close to home for me personally, as someone who is very passionate about left-wing economic issues, particularly workers' rights, paid sick time, days off, increased wages, increased working conditions. All of those are extremely, extremely important to me, more important than the social issues that we on the left champion. But ultimately, without economic security, there is no other security to follow through. And for people who don't know what working conditions are like for these rail workers, I don't know anybody who is a rail worker in the United States, but I've got buddies here that used to work for CN Rail that used to do this kind of stuff. One guy I know specifically was a conductor, and he would tell me that it was the worst job that he ever had in his entire life. And this, of course, is in Canada, where we actually have paid sick days but he would tell me that how the company would treat him essentially he had to be on call like 24 7 all the time and if he refused to come out then of course he would be fired and then not only do you have to be on call all the time he would tell me it was difficult to take time off even though he had it then when you would actually be on the job and driving the train apparently they had a very strict system to make sure like you couldn't do anything like you couldn't listen to music you couldn't have a podcast on, couldn't look at your phone, and they had managers or whatever that would sit at certain points and be looking at conductors to basically rat them out if they were doing something that they weren't supposed to. So they had all these little rat towers along the uh, railway lines. And then, at insult to injury, of course, you're on a train, right? So you're traveling. And then, so he'd say that sometimes his shift would end, like in the middle of nowhere. Like he would, his shift would just be over, and he would be stuck in the middle of nowhere, have no way to get home, no way to rest. So he just had to stay on the train until his next shift began. Essentially, he wouldn't get paid for it. There is a forced overtime in some cases in the railway industry. So there are lots of times when you actually you get off shift, you get off your job. And because you're on a train, you're in the middle of fucking nowhere. And then what the hell do you do then? But this article is very, very correct, and it must obviously it's the same in the United States because it is the same here in Canada. Railway companies are extremely profitable, and they cut their workforce to the bone to make it that way. That essentially that you are not likely to have a replacement because the replacement would cost the company too much money to have on standby. So it's a very easy and very simple thing that they're asking for. It would be no skin off the company's back to give it to them but rather than give people what they need and what is required for them to actually live a quality life, they decided instead that they would crush them and treat them like criminals. Obviously, the Democrats are not as bad as the Republicans who have outright contempt for workers in the working class. Sometimes I wish that the Democrats would actually be honest with their contempt of the working class, that they wouldn't try and hide it, and they wouldn't try and pretend that they're actually our allies when they're obviously not.
So yeah, Biden, you fucked up on your very first post midterm test. And one of the things, while the midterms were good results for Democrats, the unfortunate thing is that I do think that this result has secured Biden running in 2024. There's nobody out there who is even remotely saying that they intend to run against them, which I think is not a great thing personally, but it is what it is. And uh, obviously if he runs again and wins, we're going to get a whole lot more of this kind of bullshit. So before we go to our final segment, the last thing I want to talk about this week was far-right Nazi groups basically coming out and protesting drag events, not just across the United States, but I have one to show you from Australia as well. And then, of course, there was a severe attack on a power grid in North Carolina. We're going to talk a bit about that story that has just happened, and we don't know as many details, but it fits the profile for a lot of these other type of attacks and protests that have been happening against drag specifically and anywhere that is pro-LGBT or is hosting pro-LGBT events. But before I dive into this, one of the things I want to say is I have always been really confused as to why conservatives hate drag so much. If anything, we on the left are the conservatives about this issue and they are the, the revolutionaries because drag has been a part of Western tradition for half a millennia, specifically Western theater tradition. This is something that has existed in our society for a very, very long time. It's not exactly controversial. It's not exactly new. But these far-right guys, they just hate our history. They hate our traditions. And they want to see Western civilization go. Seriously, have these guys never watched fucking Monty Python? Jesus, what a bunch of losers. Anyway, let's get into this story. Seriously, goddamn. Let's see what Vice News has to say about this. The far right attacked drag events in four states this weekend. Protesters against drag events have been almost a weekly occurrence this year, and this weekend was no different. Nazis, Proud Boys, militiamen, Christian nationalists, and culture warriors in at least four states mobilized to shut down and intimidate events involving drag queens over the weekend. In Columbus, Ohio, a Unitarian church was forced to cancel a planned Drag Queen Story Hour event when the Proud Boys and a coalition of other far-right groups showed up to intimidate it. At least 50 Proud Boys showed up in their colors, some of whom wore tactical vests and covered their faces with masks and ski goggles. So at least we can be confident that if we need another mask mandate, these guys will comply. According to videos posted on social media by a videographer, Brendan Gerstwinger, sorry, I probably butchered your name there, Brendan, about 30 members of the white nationalist group, the Patriot Front also joined the fray, as well as a group of armed men in camouflage. About 15 others officially affiliated with the network White, white Lives Matter showed up waving their flag, a white square with a cross in the corner, oh Jesus Christ, and performed Hitler salutes. Some members of the group also held a large homemade banner that said, groomers not welcome. A group of counter-protesters also showed up. At one point, the police had to intervene during some heated verbal exchanges between the Proud Boys and the counter-protesters. It's been two weeks since a 22-year-old gunman's deadly attack on a drag queen's birthday celebration at an LGBTQ club in Colorado Springs left at least five dead. But the family, but family-friendly queer drag events have been targeted by far-right extremists for years. This year, in particular, those attacks have become more persistent and more and more sinister in their nature. As the entire right, fringe militias to Fox News to the libs of TikTok 
and the GOP coalesced anti-LGBTQ rhetoric. These groups have seized on not just drag queen story hours, but also LGBT characters in Disney movies and even LGBTQ teachers wearing pride badges in school to push baseless claims about the grooming of children. These narratives have even influenced legislation. State and federal lawmakers have filed record numbers of bills taking aim at LGBTQ rights this year. Recent bills filed in Tennessee and Ohio seek to explicitly ban public drag shows. Yeah, these are the freedom people, right? The freedom people want to ban you from looking at a guy in a dress. Yeah, okay. All of this has created ripe conditions for emboldened fringe groups to put their boots on the ground and take matters into their own hands and the case of the Club Q shooting with potentially deadly consequences. Meanwhile, protests against drag events have almost been a weekly occurrence this year, and this week was no different. In Lakeland, Florida, members of Natsock, Florida, a new white supremacist group, dressed up in their red and black uniform and gathered outside a venue where family-friendly music, art, and a drag show were taking place and waved swastika flags and White Lives Matter. Again, these are the people who say they're protecting kids. These are the people that think that they actually have kids' best interests at heart when they're showing up to these events, waving fucking Nazi flags and armed to the teeth. How delusional do you have to be? Florida, also in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, Uniform Proud Boys joined forces with the local Moms for Liberty chapter for an anti-grooming rally. Moms for Liberty is part of a national right-wing network that tries to take aim at things like critical race theory and exposure to LGBTQ education, COVID-19 restrictions in schools, and also present were the right-wing groups gays against groomers. Far-right activities have also targeted three separate drag queen events in New York over the weekend. Members of an anti-Semitic Holocaust-denying group called the Goyim Defense League tried to disrupt a drag queen story hour at the Lincoln Center in Manhattan. They ended up facing off with about a dozen counter-protesters, according to freelance videographer Oilea Scootercaster. That is, that's quite a name. Like that, Scootercaster. I've, I've never heard that before. Sorry, that, that, that threw me off, I'm not going to lie. About 20 far-right activists protested a drag queen story hour event in Staten Island, and a smaller group showed up to a similar event at the Jewish Children's Museum in Oceanside in Long Island, New York, where they were outnumbered by counter-protesters. Proud Boys in Chicago area menaced organizers of a stated drag show in the suburb of Aurora by posting information about the event and threatening to dox performers. Members of the group never showed up, but about 50 anti-fascists and other community organizers did. Plans for this year's annual Christmas parade in Taylor, Texas, which took place over the weekend, were thrown into disarray when religious leaders complained about the involvement of drag queens in last, uh, last year's event. The city ultimately had to come up with a compromise. Religious leaders who wanted all parade floats to reflect traditional biblical family values, according to the Washington Post, would hold their own parade. And the city would sponsor a separate parade. I'll build my own parade. Sorry. People need to understand, over the years, I've developed an extremely dark sense of humor. Sometimes it rubs people the wrong way. Sometimes it makes people uncomfortable. Sometimes people don't understand why I laugh at these incredibly dark and disturbing things. Like I said, it's really a defense mechanism I've, I've developed over the years. And it comes down to one of those things, right? It's better to laugh than cry type of thing. Anyway, and in South Pines, North Carolina, far-right protesters secured a permit to protest outside a theater ahead of a drag show called Downtown Divas on Saturday night. 
Police erected barricades and put up signs saying that weapons were banned from the vicinity of the event. About 50 protesters showed up, prayed and held signs saying things like, this, <laughs> this is porn, not female impersonators. Okay. Drag queen Naomi Dix, great name, told the Washington Post that she'd received threats leading up to the event. So when the power went out at the venue across more country, organizers and performers immediately feared that they were under attack. Investigators say that the power outage was due to an individual or individuals deliberately shooting two substations, and it appears to be targeted. The sheriff said they're exploring the possibility that the drag show was the intended target, but have not identified clear links yet. So let's check out some of these clips here from the event. This is the Proud Boys dancing to YMCA. And I, fuck, we, we have to be living in a simulation with shit like this. Like, oh. What's with the, the, uh, the rooster that it has? Is the one guy's got a, a poster, it's got like a chicken or a rooster and it says, we are everywhere? Is that what it says? Okay. Okay, what else do we got here? We've got a, here's another clip. This is from the same event. This is, who the hell are these? The Patriot Front, and I guess allied to the Proud Boys. Oh, got the Twitter, yeah, shitty fucking video player. Fuck, man. Imagine actually like shaking hands with those people. Like how do you recover from that as a human being? Onward to victory. <laughs> yeah, okay. You goons are going to get crushed like you got crushed every fucking time. So here is the event in Florida. This will be the last one we check out here. We'll see what some of these goofs are doing and what they're saying. God damn you, Twitter. Your fucking video player sucks. It sucks and it sucks hard. Sorry. I'm fired up today. I don't know why. Okay, here we go. This is what the trailer turn it down a little bit you can hear all the friggin wind and shit blowing around in the background there's some goon he's got a sign see sign here says you were not born in the wrong body jeez fuck man if i saw any one of these people near my kids i would destroy them <laughs> what man Fuck, man. Yeah, like I said, man, these... Stay the fuck away from my kids. That's all I gotta say to you clowns. Though I'm sure if these guys had their way, they would take my kids away from me in a heartbeat. Because, of course, one of the things they believe is that left are coming for their kids. Of course, it's a pure delusion. We've talked about that many, many times before. It's the one button that they push to try and get people's emotions riled up and to try and get them to jettison reasonable and logical thinking. And before I forget really quickly, let's just look at this story very briefly. This is actually from Australia. This is from the Star Observer. They are a pro-Australian LGBTQ newspaper and a media site. It says, drag event in Melbourne postponed after threats of protests from neo-Nazis. A drag event scheduled to be held at the Victorian Pride Center on Tuesday was postponed following threats of protest from suspected neo-Nazi and Proud Boy members. 
in accordance with advice received from Victorian Police Council minus 18. Okay. The Victoria Pride Center has made the difficult decision to postpone tonight's Glitter Nova event at the Victorian Pride Center. We apologize for any convenience caused and confirm that the event will be postponed to a later date, which we will advise shortly. A Victorian Police spokesperson confirmed that the event had been postponed. Victoria Police are aware of a planned community event on Fitzroy Street. St. Kilda has today been postponed, the spokeswoman told Star Observer. In a statement, police will continue to run proactive patrols of the area to deter any antisocial behavior and work with partner agencies to ensure the safety of all community members involved for the future. The organizers insist the postponement of the event did not validate the planned protest. The group said they would still turn up at the Pride Center to ensure any attendees who might not have gotten the postponement message in time were not harassed by neo-Nazi protesters. We won't be bullied into submission so easily. We ask people to commit. We ask people to commit to turning up and deny fascists the photo opportunity. We won't let them be pushed over. The message circulated on social media said. So I just want to bring that up just to show you guys that this is not just happening right now in the United States. This is happening in a lot of places across the Western world, including Australia. There have been some here in Canada, not this weekend to my knowledge, but it has happened before on previous weekends. So obviously it's something we all need to be aware about and take notice of. I don't have a feel-good news story, but I am going to take this time to at least end the episode on a high note. And end it with something that makes me feel good. <laughs> and hopefully it'll make some of you feel guys feel good as well. And uh, speaking of children, I am going to take this time to announce that my wife is indeed pregnant. She is pregnant with our second child. And she has been for quite some time, uh, since long before I started the show. It's something we've been keeping under wraps and not really telling anybody until we felt pretty comfortable that we could open the door and start making it public. Well, yeah, now everybody knows. If you've been following my Discord, you already know I made this announcement about a week ago. But uh, now the rest of you guys know. Maybe next year, unfortunately, there might be a little bit of a fall off in the videos. But now that I have all my systems set up, it's going to be much easier to continue to maintain production than it would have been beforehand. Yeah, managed to slip another one past the goalie there. And obviously, we couldn't be more excited. This is going to be it for us. Replacement rate. And that's it. We're done. Two, I think, is perfect. And yeah, it's going to be awesome. We already know the sex, but uh, I'm not going to, I'm going to keep that to myself for now. But uh, yeah, so big, big news on that front. So yeah, bringing more little kids in the world, much to some people's chagrin, I'm sure. And with that, that's uh, this week's episode of Terror in the Skull. Like I said, no ending monologue. We'll finish, I, I want to finish our last discussion on verbal judo next week. Hopefully to do it this week, but like I said, just some other things that I have to attend to. And with that, I do want to thank you guys for watching. This has been Comrade. Sign off for now. And I'll see you guys next time.